0: Dan and we are in the fourth part of a series called filters and what this series has been about is temptation and the big idea behind that is that temptation is never going to come just straight at you and you know give you the whole picture and all the correct accurate information saying if you behave this way if you think like this it's probably going to destroy you it's going to eventually lead to death and it's just going to disrupt all kind of relationships and Just wreak havoc in your personal life it's never going to tell you that but that's what's going to happen what it'll do is put a filter uh, like with instagram or your photos Uh, it's going to disguise that so that you don't really get that idea and that you'll kind of buy into it a little more easily so what this whole series has been about is kind of coming against that and giving us some tools and some scripture and helping us understand not only how destructive temptation can really be in our personal lives and the lives of the people around us, but how to resist that and how to be victorious. Maybe for some of you, and some of you have shared with me, that you are getting victory over some of these troubled areas in your life for the first time in a long, long time or the first time ever. So I hope that God continues that process in you. And I just wanted those of you who are maybe guests today And didn't understand, like, where are we? Well, you're almost at the tail end. In fact, we had um, originally designed this series to stop with this message today. Uh, But we're going to continue next week with one more idea that I really want you to grasp that hopefully will kind of pull all this together. Because really what this is, it's not a series of messages so much as it is just one message that's been divided up into sections or different sessions so you get the idea from. There's a scripture that I was really pulled to from the very beginning when we started thinking about this, and and I looked at this, uh, I've always thought that Romans was just one of the most powerful, if not the most powerful book in the New Testament. And that's really hard to say, isn't it? I mean, you think, well, they're all in there, and it's really all the same thing but, um, but that, wow, there's something about this book. And it was the first book that I began to read as a new believer, I was about 19 years old, and I didn't understand so much. I would read this and go, I don't get at all what this guy's talking about. And But the the upside of that, the cool thing about that is that it pushed me to figure it out. And so that's where my theology began to develop and things I began to understand about grace and began to understand about the gospel. Uh, so here's the scripture. And this is really, really good scripture. And before I read it with you, I just want to give you a heads up that there is so much packed into these ten little verses that we're going to read that there's no way that I can develop and expose everything that's there. Uh, I, we could do a whole series probably just on that one because it's just, it's just packed uh, it, with a lot of truth and a lot of substance there. So what I'm going to highlight today and to try to pull out of that are the ideas or the themes that I see, the words that are relevant to what we've been talking about, this whole thing of filters, the whole thing about temptation. So I'm going to miss some things, and as you're reading that scripture, you're going to think, wow, I can't believe that he didn't do an exposition on that You know, part of that scripture, or this is such a big truth that's, that's tucked away in there, and he didn't talk about that. Well, I'm going to try to limit myself to that. Otherwise, the Methodists are going to beat us to the restaurant. Okay? So, see what a gracious pastor I am. Um, and here's the one other thing I'm going to encourage you to do. I'm not kidding myself. I know that as we, time, but particularly even during this series, you're probably going to forget about 90% of everything I say, and I totally understand that. However, uh, the most powerful part, is the scripture. So I'm going to encourage you to go back this afternoon, this evening, tomorrow morning, and reread, particularly the scripture we're going to start with, but any of the scriptures that catch your attention, that kind of get caught in your soul today, and just read that. What I've done with this one, and, and I got this advice a long time ago from a guy much, much wiser than me, He said, before you ever look at a commentary and do a word study or anything else, he said, read it again. Read it again. I said, how many times should I read it? Because the way I'm kind of an impatient, I want to read it and go, okay, got it, and just run to the next thing and just kind of jump ahead. He said, you should read it at least five times slowly before you ever pick up anything else. And what I'm finding is that God, the Holy Spirit, exposes the truth of his word simply in reading and kind of letting that soak in deeper and deeper in, into our hearts. So that's my challenge to you. It's okay if you forget a lot of what I say, even though I'm going to say some pretty brilliant things. If you forget, uh, just go back and read the scripture and, and, and the Holy Spirit will teach you. So here we go. You ready? Let's, let's read from Romans chapter 5, uh, the first 10 verses. Therefore... And, you know, Dr. Rogers used to always say, whenever you see a therefore in Scripture, look and see what it's there for. So, to understand, he's kind of picking up in the middle of an idea, you've got to go back and read that whole fourth chapter, okay? And you can do that on your own as well. Uh, But he's just talked about the gospel and the difference between the law and how powerless and hindering it was. And then he jumps to this idea of, but under grace, through the blood of Jesus, something brand new and powerful has happened in our lives. So he said, therefore... Okay, let me just break this down and bring out some of the themes that seem to, to kind of just get my attention again and again and that's relevant to what we're talking about in regards to temptation. In the very first verse, uh, he said that we have uh, been justified by faith, and I circled that word justified, and I thought, what is that for? Well justification is this powerful theme and really at the end of the day that's what's happened to us we have been justified and now whereas once and he mentions in this passage you know we were sinners and we were separated from him we didn't even know uh, now we're justified and it's just as if i'd never sinned in fact that word brings with it a couple of ideas uh, and one is that the, the, the big thing behind that is that now I would be regarded as innocent. As innocent. Sometimes I listen to the things that my... Here it comes. You're ready to mention my grandsons. It's obligatory. Uh, but they're so innocent. And they'll say things or ask questions. And you just kind of smile because you think, oh, they're so innocent. See, that's the state that God wants to return us to. Do you remember before the sin of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, that their state of being, the context that they knew all of life and God and one another, was through the filter of innocence. And that was lost. It was destroyed and shredded when they chose to sin, and that was broken because the filter that the enemy put even there that very first time was the fact that only good stuff's going to happen to you. If you'll go independent, if you'll go rogue and just leave God out of your life because he's withholding something from you, if you'll do this on your own, oh, it's going to be so good. And isn't that what he tells you? Isn't that what he tells me? So the idea is that, you know, well, I'll just do that. And what happened was that they lost their innocence. And from that day until now, we've been cynical and we've been suspicious and we've been mistrustful. And we've doubted and we've believed lies and we've told lies. And uh, the whole way that we approach temptation and pro- has shifted. We're not innocent anymore. We're guilty and sometimes even beyond that. So he says, I'm going to return you to a state of innocence, spiritually and morally. And so now because you're innocent, it also takes on this context which really is strong all throughout Romans, and I think he used every word purposefully, and you might as well know that about me, that I, I think Scripture is just, I just have a high regard for it, and I think every word is very specific, you know, that he, you think, well, you could have used, you know, just like when you write a letter or you, you're writing a paper, you think I could have used ten words, I need a thesaurus to pick another word, I think he chose each word because he wanted to express an idea uh, that was very Uh, Accurate, in particular, and he could use the words. And there's no language I can think of that is a better vehicle for doing that than ancient Greek. It's just beautiful. It's just a perfect, perfect time and place uh, that that God chose to express himself. So when he says you're innocent, he means that in a moral sense that, oh, there's this innocence about you now, but it's also a legal term. Now, the people around you or your own heart uh, may think, yeah i'm i'm not a very innocent person i have sinned i have so sinned and i'm so guilty and have you ever stood before uh maybe you should have gotten a ticket and you know you were speeding and you know they get you and usually they're going to go ahead and give you a ticket but have you ever been in a situation like that i can't think of other analogies being called into the principal's office and you know you did it or whatever and and but you get let go have you ever walked out of that office or see the, the officer pull around you and leave and you sit there and go, oh my goodness, I so should have gotten a ticket because I was guilty. And if I wasn't guilty this time, I've gotten away with it a hundred times before I ever got pulled over. Because I'm that guy that gets righteously indignant if I get pulled over, and I hadn't been pulled over in a long time, a uh, long, long time. But you know, if you ever do, you know, get caught doing something, you think, but I didn't do it. You never mention the fact, but I have done it like every day of my life up until then. Or, you know, I, I, how many of you have never, you know, speed in your car? You know, um, one, two. And all these people who want to drive and they can't. And you, I don't even believe. So most of us have done something and we think we've gotten away with it. But what this scripture tells us is you're standing there before the judge and he, he bangs that gavel down and he says, Not guilty. You're like, I can't believe it. And we're outraged when we see that happen, when we think or we assume maybe it's a celebrity or somebody that the evidence is just stacked against them and somehow, some way in our legal system, a person gets away with it. You ever hear that? Well, they got away with it. They were on some technicality or they did this and that. And we think, wow, that's outrageous. You know, it is outrageous because I know I'm guilty, but God through Jesus, declares me innocent. I'll take that. So he said, now you're innocent. And I'm regarding you as innocent. And you're just like you were before the fall in Eden. And what that word mean is righteous, that I am the righteousness of God in Christ. That's what Romans says in another place. So legally, I've been set free. And once you've been set free, they can't come back and say, ah, we're going to redo it. No, because you're justified. And one of the beautiful things about that, that, word is that it's an aorist participle. Whoo, did a chill just go up your spine when I said that? I know it thrills people, but what that means is we have been justified and we're still being regarded as innocent. No matter what you did yesterday, no matter what you did last night, no matter what you're going to do tomorrow, you see, your righteousness before God is not dependent on your behavior. It's on His grace. So every time He looks at you, no matter what just happened, He says, innocent again, and again, and again, and again. That's so powerful, and that's a beautiful thing. Now, in verse 2, I love the fact that he says, we have access to him and to this innocence through grace, that we have access to to God. And this really is a word that means admission, or to bring near to. Uh, And it was used in that context, in that day of that moment when maybe you finally got an audience with the king or the queen and you're standing there before some monarch and you are introduced. And you know they say, Dan Riley is here to see the king. And then you step forward in front of everybody, but you have access, access uh, to, to the king. That's what this word uh, literally meant several years ago, kathy and I had a niece we still have a niece, uh, but she's a, actually an attorney and a judge she's uh, one of the, she's a circuit judge uh, in in Mississippi and um, but at that time she worked at the not the White House but the Capitol building and so we were there and she said, I can get you like a backstage pass like a tour uh, that nobody else gets so i took thought that maybe i should dress a little nicer you know just in case i didn't know where we're going so we got there and there's this long line to to get in uh to you know all these buildings like you know all of us have been well some people come back and they they find us they they get us and then they walk us past that whole line of people and everybody's looking at us like who are they so i'm trying to look important you know i'm trying to look like yeah kind of a dignitary yeah we're just see you ordinary people you know Um, and we walk past them and we go in and then we got to go into offices and we got to go to the floor of the senate and we just got to do all these cool things because of her they didn't know me they didn't know cat we're just you know and can you see me doing that and trying to appear as if i'm somebody and I'm walking around, I'm tr- trying my best not to embarrass you. And I'm like, hey, I'm Dan from Knoxville, Tennessee. Who? go Falls. You know. And they're like, well, how, who let him in? And they go, well, because he knows her and she knows. You see, the reason we're in this place of grace is because I know Jesus. And he has given me a backstage pass. And I have access now to God the Father through Jesus. It's not about me. It's all about what he's done. And you have access now to grace and to the Lord. He also says in that same verse that we're standing in grace. That we're standing in grace. And immediately I got this mental picture you know, of standing. You ever, you know, you've stood in something like water or whatever it is. It's a different environment than maybe what you're used to. And that now... God, I stand in that grace that's where I am, I'm standing in grace and God's attitude toward us is now one of favor that his joy and his beauty and his pleasure is turned toward me and turned toward you and I really want you to get that that you don't have to do anything anymore to try to prove that you're worthy of love And maybe you grew up doing that in some environment. Maybe it was with your parents or whoever it was that raised you, and you just weren't sure. And so you're always trying to please somebody and to get them to like you, whether it's a sibling or a teacher or a coach or a parent or a friend. And I can't tell you how many hoops I've jumped through, particularly with friends, doing things that they wanted me to do and going along so that I'd be accepted by them. And there's a lot of pressure. And some of you will face temptation, and you'll get yourself into situations you should never be in. And what's behind it is not so much that behavior. And there's things I would do with some of my buddies, and I think, I really don't even want to be doing this. This is not that fun. I'm not even attracted or compelled to do this. But I'm not going to not do it. Why? Because of them. I don't want to be shamed in front of my friends. So I'm going to go along and do what they do. You see, that's the gravitational pull of a lot of sin, a lot of temptation. It's not so much the action, it's what's behind it. And so, what Romans is telling us here is that you're standing in grace. You don't have to do all that anymore. You are accepted, you are loved. The door of access is always open, there's no more trying to keep score. And wondering am I good enough today and you know I I read a thing in the uh I forget which paper it was but somehow it had like a spiritual vibe to it and and there was some celebrity that said well you know I just I just think at the end of the day my good things are going to outweigh my bad things (laughs) I I don't know about you that just sounds really really risky to me Uh, because on any given day uh I don't know how close that score is going to be, you know. It's going to be closer than a Braves game or the Preds or anybody. You know, I think, Lord, I don't, that's just too, it could go any way on any given day. I need something more sure, and the idea is this, it is sure. You don't have to keep score because the account is settled, and it continues to remain so. Because this word is also, it's in what's called the perfect tense, which means it was done in the past, it's done But it's continuing, and it's in the present. So we were placed in grace through Jesus, the moment of your salvation. And I continue standing there. I'm standing on this platform. I'm standing in this building. I'm standing in Jesus. That's your new place. That's where we are now. In verse 3, he says uh, that we face these tribulations and, and these sufferings. Literally, the word there means pressure. And isn't there a time and a place when you're tempted that you feel the pressure of it, whether it's an internal pressure, like a desire, maybe it's become a habit, and so there's this pressure. Yeah, I really want to do that. I want to think that. I want to say that. I want to you know, lean into that. So there's that pressure. Or there's an outward pressure. Maybe it's from some of your friends. Maybe it's from your boyfriend. Maybe it's from your girlfriend. There's a pressure. Come on. That's what this word means. So he says, when we're feeling it, we just feel like I'm under pressure. I'm under pressure. And he says, I give you these tools. And now that you're in grace, you don't have to do that. And every time you resist that, every time you step away from that behavior and you are victorious, it's like you build another layer of muscle. You build something else in your soul in, in inside you that that has endurance it has this this power to bear up under it you ever known somebody or maybe you ever tried to stop a habit um I, I don't every every week i try to think of something you know but uh let's just say smoking You know, if you ever used to smoke, and the very first day you tried to stop, how hard was that? Because you've got all kinds of habits, and you've got nicotine, which is probably, from what I understand, and I interviewed a guy about this, and I said, well, what what are the most addicting things that people can face? And he said nicotine, carbohydrates, and a monthly check. (laughs) said <laughs> so that keeps a lot of people from launching out and trying something risky because of a sure thing you know and so uh that's that's addictive is getting paid uh carbohydrates that's always there for me and then uh, nicotine so whatever it is your addiction is whatever it is that you're you're pulled into and you think wow it's got such but the, the, the you step away and you think i'm never going to be able to quit this whether it's a chemical, a drug, whatever, and you think, I just can't stop. But then the next day, you may not even be able to perceive it, but your body, your mind, your heart, you're starting to lean away. And you think, yeah, I, I, it's not as hard. And then five years later, ten years later, a year later, six months later, somebody comes along and they offer you a cigarette or a donut or whatever it is. And if you've broken that addiction, you, you say, you know what, no, I've built up endurance. And with that has come this ability to say, no, you know what, I'm just really not attracted to it anymore and i'm not if you're a smoker i'm not picking on you there's probably more evil things you're, you're killing yourself but um uh, and my family we all smoked everybody smoked the babies smoked the grandparents smoked we all smoked and we just smoked everything and um if it would burn we'd smoke at it and so we so we, we, we were doing that and i was totally oblivious to it anybody ever grow up in a home where there's there's a lot of that i didn't know I couldn't smell it. I couldn't, I, you know, because it was my environment. It was what I was used to. Now, then I quit and got away from that, and I moved into a, like a non-smoking environment, you know, and, and so I would go back to visit my family, and I could smell it. And I thought, isn't that funny? I never could smell it before. And it's funny that we would go for Christmas to visit my parents, and we'd get out of the car, and we'd make our, ch- our children, will remember this, uh, we'd, we'd make them take their coats off. And throw them in the trunk, and so we would all come in, and my family would always think that's so funny that y'all are so. You know, is it just really hot in Knoxville because you never wear coats? Yeah, we're fine, we're good. <laughs> yeah, it's just hot. No, it's because the clothes you could wash, but the coats we had to take to the dry cleaner, and would be so expensive. So we would leave those kind of things in the car because now we could. Now I could smell it. Because you see, when I step outside of it, I have a different point of view and a reference, and I'm more attuned to it. And there are things that you think, I can't get past that, I don't even know about that. When you step away from it, you know, whether it's sugar, whether it's nicotine, whether it's whatever it is, you're going to build up an endurance and a strength that you didn't know you had. And you won't have that need anymore. And when you are in that place, that's called character. And he says, through this pressure, you build up endurance, and you take on a new character, and with that comes hope. You have hope, this confidence that something good and beautiful could happen. And, and you may be at a place of helplessness or of hopelessness. And you may have stepped into this room this morning and go, you're talking to somebody else, you're not talking to me, because I can't ever do this, or I'll never be able to do that. or I'll... You see, you're going to get to a place where you think, I, can't, I have hope now i I, hope, I pray that that 's where you are because with that, and this was like it was tailor made for what i 'm going to talk about this you know that 's been kind of a quiet theme through this series i 'm really going to hammer it next week and even on father 's Day that I have a message just for fathers, just for parents, so I hope you get your dad 's here I hope if you 're a dad, you come, and if you 're not a dad, you still got to come okay because then you can listen to this about your father and then you can refer to it. You can take lots of notes and go. Yeah, but Dan said you're supposed to be doing it this way. That'll be yeah. So you just got a ticket. Now, um, here's what he says, and with that, there's no shame. I got to tell you, I've read past this so many times. Uh, in verse three, uh, produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame. And I've kind of read right over that and not understood how powerful shame is of our lives he says I'm going to take that out and you're not going to make decisions and take actions based on shame anymore and he says because love's going to be poured out love's going to be poured out into your life and into your heart the only other thing I would bring out about this just a couple of words in verse 6 there's uh, where he says we are weak He said, you are so weak Uh, and, And you are, even though you may not be aware of that. And that just means exactly what it says, to be without strength, to be powerless because of a disease or an illness or a sickness. And spiritually, the name of that disease is called sin. And because we're in sin, we're weakened. We're weakened in every way. Now, I know you've been sick, right? Some of them, maybe you've never been sick. I get sick about once or twice a year. And, oh, you're just, if you've ever just been where you just think, I can't, I just can't, I just can't breathe, I can't get up, I can't, and you think, oh, the bathroom's 10 miles away. The kitchen, 20 miles, I can't even get there. It's just, and you look at a flight of stairs and you think, I can't, I can't, I can't do it, I'm just too sick. You see, that's where we were spiritually. We couldn't do anything because he said, you're just sick, you're diseased. But within that condition, we couldn't help ourselves. In verse 9 and 10, he says, God saved you. God saved you. And that's literally, he rescued you. And even more literally, if you want to pull, you know, just kind of pull the covers back on that word, it means to be delivered the mental image i got have you ever seen movies or maybe this has happened to you where somebody's out in the ocean and maybe there's been a storm and they've got thrown overboard and they're out there and maybe the helicopter comes and lets that rope i know a lot about this kind of thing you know lets the rope down and they hook them and bring them up that's what this word means or maybe you know that the movies where somebody's in a burning house maybe it's a child and they they think wait little timmy's still in the house and somebody dashes back in and, you know, the, and, and timbers are falling. You've seen that scene. It's been played. in so, you know, they see the child or they see whoever it is and they scoop them up and they run them out of the house. That's what this word means. That in my sickness, in my weakness, in my place where I'm incapacitated and I can't do anything to save myself. God comes in to my situation. He comes into your life and he delivers us. He saves us. That's what that means, so that now I'm standing in that place of safety. Listen, we've all felt guilt about some of the things we've done. And not only guilt about what we've done, but the fact that we, we did it again, and then you did it again. Guilt is a negative feeling over what you've done. What will happen is that it'll go to the next step which is shame and shame is a negative feeling about who you are because of what you've done and the way you see yourself and the enemy who is without mercy will make sure that he can bring people into your life to affirm this suspicion that you think about yourself. I'm a nobody. I'm too fill in the blank. Uh, I'm never going to be lovable. I'm never going to be Whatever lie it is that he whispers to you, he's going to make sure that there are voices who will echo that and say things and probably said it before you ever even got to kindergarten or first grade. And some of you are 40, 50, 60 years old, and you can remember words. Some of you are just high schoolers or college students, but you remember words you heard all the way back when you were four, five, six, seven years old. Because it affirms something negative you thought about yourself. That's shame. That's shame. I was talking with a friend yesterday. He's 86 years old. And he began to talk about his usefulness in the kingdom of the Lord. And he began to talk about, is God done with me yet? And he began to, and as I listened to him, I said, stop. I said I need you to, I need you to know something. Do you think because you're old the enemy's going to have mercy on you? He's going to leave you alone? He's going to say, "Well, look, they're so old. I'm just I'm not going to mess with them. I'm not going to hurt their feelings." Or do you think he would have mercy on a little child and think, oh, I don't, don't let them hear that. Don't let them, you know, and, and sometimes you, you see things that you just think, oh, that was cruel. And maybe you heard things on the playground or from somebody who just hurt you so much. And you think, I was just five years old. How could you hurt a child like that? Because he is relentless in his hatred of you. And I told my friend, I said, listen, you are listening to the liar and you're one of my heroes And I need you to speak truth into my life, not believe something you know is not true. Stop. Just stop it. I just talked to him like he was my child. And I said, you stop that because you know the truth. And he said, "I, I, I do. You see, we need to remind, we need to hold one another accountable. We need to remind each other of truth. I'm okay if you feel guilty. If you confess something, maybe to one another, to a trusted person or uh, to the Lord and say, I just need to confess, I did this and I just feel awful about it, that's pretty healthy. But if you say, I did this, I am terrible, I am an awful person, you're believing something that's not true. Because guilt says, I have done bad things. Shame says, I am bad. Proverbs 14, 12 says this, there is a way that appears to be right, but in the end, it leads to death. Your sin, my sin, is so destructive, it is so toxic, it will lead to death. I was talking to some of the singers this morning over here. I'll just call them out. And they were saying, well, I'm so glad you you don't want to drink out of styrofoam because all that plastic melts and it gets in your body. And I said, what? I've been drinking that my whole life. How long have I got? And they just looked at me pitifully like, probably not very long. You don't look good, you know. You think I didn't know that was happening? And I said, I, "Are you being serious, or is this one of those Mother Earth?" Co- you know, is this? and He said, "No, really. You're you're drinking plastic every time you have coffee." <laughs> you know. Now I'm just like, "What do I do? Help me!" You know. Every time you sin, every time you give into that behavior, there's something toxic that's going to lead to your death. That's happening. Second Corinthians five seventeen says, however. You are a new creation. You can circle that word new. You're something different. You're something fresh. You don't have to. Those The old things have passed away. Now, if the enemy can convince you that they haven't passed away and keep you engaged, that's exactly what he'll do. And some of you, you do not understand who you are in Christ yet. Maybe you've been a Christian five years or ten years or twenty years, but you don't know who you are in Jesus and that you're standing in grace you still think it's about you. You still think it's about how good you can be today. Freedom is not only letting go of your sins and your behaviors, but letting go of the thoughts that supported those behaviors. Whatever it is really that's driving you to do that. In 1 Corinthians 13, 11, here's what Paul says. When I was a child... I spoke like a child, and that can be cute, right? I mean, our kids talk in a certain way, and so we imitate that, and we end up saying things the way they say it because it's cute. Well, it's not so cute when you get grown and you're still saying that. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. When people said words to me, I, thought, I perceived that like, like a child would do, and you let it get all the way down into your heart. He said, I reasoned like a child. I figured it out and thought, I must not be good. I must not be lovable. I must not, there's something about me that's different than everybody else. I reasoned like a child. But listen, I want you to get this last part. When you became a full-grown man in Christ, when you became a grown woman, we give up childish things. And I think we've read that scripture so many times and we've thought about it as immaturity and yeah, I don't do that. I don't, I don't play with trucks or cars. Or th- you, know, I, because, you know, I don't do that anymore because I'm not a kid. I don't, I'm not interested in that. It's also something different. You give up childish ways in the way that you think about yourself, the way that you understand the Lord, and the way that you see what you do. Let go of the childish things. One of those childish things is this, and I have to admit, this is a struggle for all of us. The Bible mentions fear 336 times in Scripture. You kind of get the feeling that maybe that's just a part of our life and that, that even the Bible recognizes and God understands that fear is a factor in our human condition. But 2 Timothy 1:7 says says this, if for God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and of love and catch this, did did you notice or of self-control. See, I always thought because here's fear, and I'm not not a person of fear anymore, I'm a person of power and of love. And I kind of leave off that last part, and because there's power coursing through me, because now love is the motivating ingredient in my life so much more than shame was, that I can be self-controlled. Some of you believe the lie that I can't be self-control. I can't be self-disciplined because that. Yeah, you can't because he gives us a spirit of self-discipline. And really what that means is a a person of a sound mind. It means that you think correctly and now it's going to be so much easier to change your behaviors because you're not thinking about it the same way. Because everybody, you know, folks, it just it starts up here. When I was a boy, uh, my mom had a necklace, and on it was something kind of familiar, and you've probably heard it at some point in your life, but we call it the serenity prayer. And it goes something like this, I hope I get it right, God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Now recently, and I hope I haven't told this here, I know I told this in cafe I think one night, I was uh, at a hotel with a group of friends and we're waiting on the elevator to go down and because we'd been there and ridden this elevator a couple of times, we knew it was just really, really slow. So there was a new friend that I'd met, and he's a guy from Hong Kong, and he walked up to, to the elevator, and uh, everything's new. He's only been in the States for a little while, and he's just, he's kind of loving everything. He's finding out about our culture. And I pushed the button again, even though it was already lit up. And as he came up, just to be the you know the, the guide, <laughs> his, his guide for America, I said, this elevator's really slow. It's so slow, and I'm whining and all like that and he stands there in just this this beautiful humility and he says this to me you must accept the things you cannot change and he just smiled at me and nobody said anything there's like six of us standing there and we all thought you're going to use one of our slogans on us he said But before we could say anything, he said, I just heard this recently. He said, I'd never heard this in my whole life. And he quoted the serenity prayer. He said, that's so beautiful. And it's just, I'm just learning. I must accept the things I cannot change. And I thought, well, I've heard it ever since I was a little boy. My mother had it on a necklace. But I didn't know it meant we were really supposed to do that. (laughs) It was something to apply. And as I stood there, I thought, he's right. And you know, something kind of crazy, even though I've heard it since I was a kid... It didn't click with me until he, we experienced that. And now, there's so many times over the last couple of weeks that I get frustrated about something, or I, and, I just, and I just stop, whether it's a red light or something that's totally out of your control. I'm going to be late. I'm going to be, you know, this, or this is going to happen. or Oh, no, look at that. Just stop and, and I just stop and think. I must accept the things I cannot change. That's one of the things I can't change. That's out of my control. Gives you a lot of peace and frustration. There are some things you can't change, but there are some things you can. And the enemy will lie to you about which is which. Here's the truth whatever your temptation is, and I'm talking about the one that just keeps coming back, you can change. You can change. You can be victorious. That's the truth. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 says, My grace is sufficient for you. It's not just a poem. It's not just to be put on coffee mugs or stationery or T-shirts. His grace, there is sufficiency within that, even to overcome that temptation that you struggle with completely get the fact that not all of your developmental needs were met in your childhood. Not all of your emotional needs are perhaps even being met now in the relationships you're in. But you alone are responsible for what you do next. You can project blame. You can You know feel sorry for yourself you can go in all different kind of directions but listen we're big boys we're big girls you alone are responsible for what you do next when you're triggered when whatever that is that makes you fall back into thinking those old ways maybe you're tired maybe you're hungry maybe you're discouraged maybe you got your feelings hurt uh, maybe somebody exploited you. I mean, there could just be all kinds of situations that put you in that mood where you think, well, then, well, I'm just going to sin again, you know, and you feel justified or that you can rationalize that. You're falling back to your old ways, and you're tempted to sin again. You can change. You can change because you have been changed. You're already there. What's happened is that over time, your brain got hijacked and it's not going to immediately like the changes that you're making in your life, but as your attitude continues to to go in a different direction and your behaviors and your habits are altered physically, emotionally, mentally, in every way, your brain's gonna change too. It's actually gonna create new pathways, new, you know, different neurological approaches to, to that. Now, I'm going to give you real quickly before we go just some ideas about how to begin that on a practical level, make some changes in your life. I'm not going to put them up here, and I'm going to go through them pretty quickly. So you can either go back and listen to this, or you can write them down, or you can ignore them. Here's some things to think about. First of all, be conscious of God's presence in all things. He's there. And, you know, he sees, he understands, he's with you in that moment. It's not necessarily a bad thing or a thing to feel like, ah, uh, you know, but be conscious that he's present, he's there. Secondly, put God's will before your own. Instead of thinking, I deserve this, but, well, it's been a hard day, or it's been, you know, it's been so long, or, you know, put God's will before yours. Thirdly, and I mentioned this last week, seek counsel, seek accountability from another trusted soul and only from people you have complete confidence and trust in then when you're faced with those old temptations before you just think i'm just going to give into that be patient and still for just a moment i know it sounds simple and you think well that won't work actually it it might before you take another bite before you eat the entire bag before whatever it is that's working for you, just stop and just be still for a minute and allow your heart and your brain and your spirit to catch up with that that impulse. Recognize when a sinful thought has arisen in your mind and heart. Uh, when that comes up in your mind and you don't even, you just begin to, maybe you jump ahead and see yourself, do you're starting to visualize doing that or the pleasure of it or whatever it is, before you do that, just stop and, and, and just recognize it for what it is, and maybe even say it out loud. Just say, say what it is. And be content with the circumstance that you're presently in. And I know that's difficult, and I know some of you are in hard places, but find a place where you're content with the Lord and know that this isn't going to last forever. I wrote down honor and value other people because what you do affects uh, the folks around you. Don't do things that just serve yourself. It's not about you. Another idea I had because I see this particularly I'm going to say in adolescence, but I see it in adults a lot too, is to not be silly or mocking or to make fun because I know my friends and I we would laugh at sin. We would laugh at the consequences of that, and we would make jokes about it, and it made it easier to engage. It made it easier when you just make fun of something uh, or when you're you know, just frivolous about it. So be careful and take it seriously. And the last thing I thought of is just to speak honestly to yourself. Don't lie to yourself. You've been lied to so much in your life by so many people and the enemy has just whispered to you again and again, don't add another thing to that by you lying to yourself. At least you talk truth. At least you speak truth to yourself. At some point, you probably cross the line between feeling guilty and feeling shame. Feeling bad about what you did and feeling bad about who you are. We're we'll going to talk about that next week because I began to look through Scripture and I saw all these people uh, who, who, whose lives are recorded here who were operating and making decisions and lifestyle choices, I think, out of shame. And I think we do it too. Remember what Romans 5 says, you are legally set free. You're spiritually innocent now. Verse 6 says, You're not weak anymore. Stop believing that. You're not weak anymore. You're well now. You are standing in grace and you are at peace with God. That's powerful. And if God says no to something, then he's got a good reason for it. He says no for a good reason. And temptation is just a subversion of his grace. Isn't it funny that before you sin, he kind of whispers to you, you're forgiven, you're a Christian, it's okay, this is under grace. But then after you've sinned, that same voice says, can't believe you did that, you can't be forgiven, you've gone too far. Nobody does this but you, you are, it's the same voice. Beth Moore said this, she actually tweeted it on February 26th, at 8:14 a.m, Wanderer, no matter how far you've roamed, how much you've done, how many you've hurt, how hopeless it seems, arise. Go to Jesus and begin. there maybe is a temptation or an area in your life and you've just given up. You don't even try anymore. Go to Jesus. Begin again. I'm going to ask you to do something different. And here's how we're going to wrap up today. I'm going to ask you to stand and I'm going to read with you a section of scripture from the next chapter in Romans, Romans chapter 6. And I've chosen a version called the message. It's really not a translation as much as it is a transliteration uh, by Eugene Peterson. Um, But here's what I'd like to do, and I know this is always maybe a little awkward or rough when we try to do something like this with so many of us together, but I would like for us to read this out loud uh, together, and this is going to serve as our benediction. It's going to serve as an affirmation of what we believe and what we know is true, and it's going to be a way that, that we say to one another, And we say to the Lord, God, we we are leaning into truth. We're leaning into grace, not guilt and shame. Okay, are you ready? We're going to try to read this together. So what do we do? Keep on sinning so God may keep on forgiving? I should hope not. If we've left the country where sin is sovereign, how can we still live in our old house there? Or didn't you realize we packed up and left there for good. That is what happened at baptism. Amen. God bless.